Amen. I'm so glad to know that in a little while we're going home. Aren't you happy about that? You know, this uh, separation that is happening right now has really brought to bear just how important heaven is because we feel what it feels like to be separated from each other. That's exactly what Jesus is feeling right now as he's separated from us. <laughs> he wants to be reunited with us. The question is, do you want to be reunited with him as much as he wants to be reunited with us? Hopefully you do. In a little while, we are going home. And we praise the Lord that we have the ability to be able to come back to the house of God, uh, even though it's just virtually, and that God meets us here every single time. And we're excited that he's here today. I want to just recap last week's sermon because you remember we are in a sermon series. It is a two-part series. Uh, but uh, as sometimes pastors like to do, um, more than likely it will uh, grow. <laughs> there are actually two more sermons I want to preach <laughs> that are related to the ones that we've been doing. And so when we come back from the uh, outreach series over the next couple Sabbaths, uh, I, may, I may come back to this a little bit. Uh, because as I was sort of digging through the Word of God and finding different things, uh, a lot of stuff was jumping out that is really relevant during this time. And so you may hear a little bit more uh, in the weeks to come. Uh, but let's, let's just recap on what we did on Sabbath. Last Sabbath sermon was entitled, Our Lord's Patience. We came from Second Peter chapter 3. And we began by listening to various reactions to this pandemic as we saw them manifested around the world. And we noticed that each part of the world seemed to respond to COVID-19 uh, from a sense of their own values and their worldview. And so we wondered together aloud, what is our reaction as the body of Christ in this crisis? And should our Christian worldview and value system inform our response to the effects of COVID-19? So we turned to God's word, and we saw in it that we were surprised about Peter's focus. Peter focuses in the last days on something that we were not expecting. He does not focus on the signs or the upheaval or even the prophecies, but instead he focuses on character. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? Then he says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Second Peter 3.11. It's interesting to us that he would focus his attention and our attention in the last days on character instead of the circumstances surrounding us at the time. The contemporary English version puts it this way, same text. Everything will be destroyed, so you should serve and honor God by the way you live. <laughs> Peter is very concerned with our character in the last days, so that was our first response to COVID-19. Number one was, reconsider the importance of character. That's the first thing we learned on last Sabbath. The second thing we learned, our second response to COVID-19 was to focus on Jesus. Who says amen to that today? <laughs> That's always a good one. Peter uses two words in 2 Peter 3.14 when referring to us. He says we should be spotless and blameless. And he previously used those same two words when talking about Jesus in 1 Peter 1.19. The words are the same in Greek. And this indicates that our appearance as spotless and blameless does not come from us, 
but instead from Jesus, the Lamb of God. So it turns out, Peter is not trying to get us to be more inwardly focused during this time, not on sinless perfection, but instead, he wants us to focus only on Jesus Christ, the one who can give us true perfection in the last days. If we focus on him, we'll be safe. That's Peter's message. That brought us to our third and final response to this pandemic, and that is to have godly patience. So last Sabbath, we acknowledged that our God has supernatural patience, and that was underscored by the fact that he is not governed governed by time in the way that we are. Now, this is both instructive and encouraging to us at the same time. God sits outside of time. He does not experience the events of history in a linear fashion like we do of past, present, and future. Instead, he knows the end from the beginning, and he interacts with all of it, even what's in the middle, with all the events of our lives in a way that we really cannot comprehend. So that he can answer a prayer that hasn't even been prayed yet, with the exact answer necessary to meet the need, and he'll do it at the precise moment required to fulfill his will for our good and for his glory. Isn't that beautiful? Peter said that for God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So in one sense, because of the way that God interacts with time, his second coming to him will come as if only a moment has passed. But because he can already see everything and how it works and how he, how he knows it's going to happen. Remember the Bible says that for sometimes the day is like a thousand years. So that means for God, his coming will both be quicker and will take much longer for him than we will ever understand. Our God's pain in watching us go through this is excruciating to him. And he can't wait to deliver us from this place. But at the same time, as Peter puts it, Our Lord's patience means salvation. Put differently, the Lord's patience preserves an opportunity for salvation through repentance. Who says amen to that today? We need godly patience if we're going to make it in the end. So those are the three things. Reconsider the importance of character, focus on Jesus, and have godly patience. That was last week's sermon in five minutes. You can go back and watch the whole thing later on if you missed it. But in case you don't want to, that was the Cliff's Notes of last Sabbath. Well, today I want to begin this sermon like this. There are many negative effects that we can list now that we're faced with this COVID-19 pandemic. If I were to ask you what you don't like about what's going on now you could probably come up with 10 different things that bother you in 30 seconds. Right away, you could do that. The first of which would probably be the sickness and death that we're all faced with that, by the way, has hit closer and closer to home as time lingers. It has been affecting our church's extended family for quite a while. But for the first time now, it's hitting the actual members of the Tacoma Park Church. And we can feel it. It's like constricting us. And we hate this disease and all of the havoc and upheaval and confusion that it's causing. But there are some positive things 
that have come about as a result as well. Some positives that have come from what we've lost. From what we've lost. We're spending a lot more time with our families these days. Have you noticed that? Now, at first, let's be honest, it was a little bit disconcerting and there were some problems, especially for those of us that have small children and, and you did not go to school to be a teacher and now all of a sudden you're a homeschool teacher. <laughs> uh, that was hard, I know. But now that you've transitioned and now that it's been about eight weeks, nine weeks of this and you're used to it, you're starting to really see that there's nothing more important than family. Aren't you seeing that? Maybe now for the first time in your entire life. We have what I call in our home uh, family bonus coverage. That's, that's what's going on right now. <laughs> We're not quite as busy with the rat race of life. I think you'll find that that's true too. Now, now don't get me wrong. Many of us are working harder now, <laughs> now that we're at home, than we did when we were going into the office. I'm sure that's your experience. But you must admit also that you now have more time because you're not commuting from home to work every day. In fact, your commute, for most of you, involves getting up out of your bed, walking two feet over to the table where your computer is, jumping on Zoom, and uh, I know what you're doing. You're putting on nice clothes up top, but you're wearing sweatpants on the bottom. I know that's what you're doing. So that's what's going on. But none of us are stuck in traffic in I-95 or, or 495 anymore. In fact, even those who are essential workers and still have to go into work, you're finding the roads are much clearer than they were before. So even if you're going in, you're still not spending as much time in your car. <laughs> And I want to say glory to the Lamb of God for that. That's a blessing in and of itself. <laughs> you know, I think now more of us are cooking, cooking our own food. You're not eating out as much as you used to before. And several of you that have families, you're able to actually sit together and eat it. Wow, what a novel thing. We're even baking more. We're doing it in our house more. A, a buddy of mine went out the other day. Uh, his wife wanted to make some banana bread, and she needed a certain size uh, tin for it. And he went to the store, and he said the entire baking aisle had nothing in it. <laughs> he couldn't find anything. Everybody's baking now. We're all at home using our ovens and our stoves ourselves. It's a wonderful thing. People are spending much more time beautifying their yards. When you go back uh, after service is over and you take your Sabbath walk today, look around and notice the people in their yards. Notice the yards around your neighborhood, how much better they look than they used to look before. Because we're spending so much time at home now, we want the area around us to look good. That's what's been happening in our neighborhood. One more positive. One more positive. And this sort of leads us into our talk for today. I think something has happened because now we cannot meet together. We've had to be more creative in finding ways to connect with one another. Have you noticed that? See, there's something in us that God created inside of us that longs for human connection. Something that we cannot escape. It's part of our DNA. And when someone says you can't go to church anymore, for many of us, that was the way we connected with people. So we've had to get creative in figuring out how we can still connect even though we cannot be physically together. I think that's a positive thing. You know why? Because it's pushed us out of our comfort zone and into an area where we have to rethink what being the church actually means. And maybe for the first time, we're recognizing that it's not about the building, but instead about the people of God. 
It's a shame that it took a pandemic to get us to learn that, though. Many of us have recognized, maybe for the first time, that the church is not about the building, but about the people of God. So today, we want to ask ourselves this question for this message. How does not meeting at church in person affect our ability to be who Christ has called us to be? Is there a negative effect or could it be positive? Are we less potent as Christians now? Should this weaken our witness? I want to talk about that in this message entitled, We Shine. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word of God that has been preserved for our edification. And I want to thank you right now for Jesus Christ who makes this word even possible. There's no reason for me to preach today if Jesus is dead in the grave. But because he's in heaven and he's pleading his own blood on our behalf, this word can be meaningful. So I ask God that you would transform these words from my words into yours. Allow the people who are listening right now around the world, may they be touched so that Jesus Christ can be lifted up and then every man, woman, boy, or girl can be drawn unto him. In his name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. What book did I say? Matthew, that's right, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13 and reading to verse 16. This should be a familiar text to you. It is part of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to start by reading in the NIV right now. Starting in verse 13, the Bible says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Who says amen to the word of God today? We shine. It is probably Christ's most famous oration in the Bible. On a mountainside, Jesus gives insights into some of the most important subjects of our human existence. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. It is hailed by commentators and scholars alike as one of the most important discourses of Christ's earthly ministry. It is the single longest recorded sermon of Jesus, spanning two chapters, uh, really three, from Matthew 5 to 7. And as we read it, we become convinced about how dramatically and diametrically opposed this world is to the kingdom of God. Christ praises meekness, for instance. He advocates the loving of one's enemy and prayer for one's persecutor. He magnifies his law by expanding our understanding of the definitions of murder and adultery. 
He tells us not to judge, don't worry, and don't fast in public. He even says that we should let people slap us on both cheeks. Christ reveals a heavenly kingdom that operates much differently from the world in which we live. In the midst of all this wisdom is a statement about our identity as believers in Christ that William Barclay says, this is the greatest compliment Jesus ever paid to his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. What a startling statement. Light is the first element of creation and serves as a symbol of life. It also represents wisdom, since through it, things become clear. Light clarifies. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. In 1 John 1.5, the writer tells us that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So when Jesus calls us light, he's giving us credit well beyond what we deserve. We are the light of the world. And the first thing that we notice in the distinct language of our Savior is that this is not a command, but instead it's a divine designation. Did you get that? He's not commanding us to do something. He's calling us something. He's designating something to us. Jesus is pointing out something about our identity as Christians. Light is not something we are called upon to achieve. He does not say, you must have light in the world, or you must become the light of the world. No, he says, you are already light of the world. In a very real way, Jesus is explaining to us who we already are in him. As followers of Christ, we are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world is a statement of identity and the statement of a purpose follows. Let your light shine. Notice that Jesus does not say we must shine in order to receive salvation. We shine because we already have received it. Being paves the way for doing. We can let our light shine because we are the light, but the light does not originate with us. It is only as we abide in Christ that we become light. And in Christ, there is no separation between being and doing. Our naming is our mission. We shine because that's what we're called to do. But we're unable to do it first because of who we are. Here are two distinctions of light that I want to point out today. We're only having two points, two points of our sermon. The first is back in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Two distinctions that I want to show you. The second one will be in Ephesians. So Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, the Bible says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Who says amen to God's word today? Here's the first thing that we learn about our function as light. Here it is. First thing that we learn. Light is meant to be seen. Repeat after me. We must not hide our light. 
Say it again. We must not hide our light. If you believe that, say amen today. Now, this is why light exists. It exists so that it can be seen. It's the nature of light to shine, and thus it expends itself. Jesus asks, who lights a light and then puts it under a bushel? That's how the King James puts it. Puts it. Such light is useless. And, and, and Jesus does not speak here of electric light or, or battery-operated flashlight or anything like that like we have today. Jesus didn't have any of that in his day. He's talking about natural light, that if you covered it, it would be extinguished. Light is not performing its function unless it is seen. It would be better not to light the light at all than to light it and hide it. Doesn't make any sense. That's why the term secret disciple of Christ is actually an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. There are no secret disciples of Jesus. Light is meant to be seen, so we shine. When we receive the new life in Christ, it is unnatural for us to keep that to ourselves. Remember, light is meant to be seen everywhere. Where, where did I see? Where, what did I just say? Light is meant to be seen how many places? Everywhere. <laughs> Not just in our designated outreach Sabbaths like service Sabbath. Right, Pastor Shisto? <laughs> light is not just meant to be seen on service Sabbath. We should not be constantly switching our light on and off the way that we do. For most of us, it's on for Sabbath and, and not even the whole Sabbath day. Uh, maybe just for Sabbath school and church. And that's when we used to go to church. Not sure what your light is doing now. But for the rest of our time, the light is mostly off. Off at work. Off when we drive. And that person cuts us off. Off in our relationships. Don't you see how crazy it is if we only shine our light at church? What happens when we stop coming to church? Like right now. We're supposed to shine all the time. In the way we treat our neighbor. In the way we treat our employees. In how we treat our enemies. In the way we play games or drive our car or order a meal. In the language we use. The attitude we adopt. The deportment we display. Like literal light, it shines out in every direction. Our very habits of life bespeak who we are, and we're never supposed to turn it off. On the contrary, it shines so continually that we take no special notice of it ourselves. It's simply who we are as light. Remember some years ago, uh, we went to Florida, and April and I decided to go back to a restaurant that we had been to in the past, in Florida, this exact same restaurant. And uh, the time we went before, have you, have you ever noticed whenever you have a really good experience at a restaurant and you go back, maybe you've been there only once, and you go back to the restaurant, you want to have that same experience you had before, it almost never is the same. And that was our situation in this case. Went back to this restaurant, and we got a waiter this time that was not very conscientious. In fact, this waiter seemed to be in a bad mood already when he came to the table. And so we knew it probably wasn't going to be good. You know, uh, if you get bad service at a restaurant, it affects the way your food tastes. I mean, the, the food might actually be good. <laughs> but because the service is bad, your food is nasty. <laughs> well, April, I remember uh, we, we got our salads. He sent it to the table, and 
uh, we specifically ordered no bacon. And of course, they brought the salads with bacon. And so we asked them to send it back because we told them we didn't eat that. And um, he got upset, visibly, and kind of huffed and, and grabbed the, the, the bowls and was taking it back to the back. And uh, I love my wife. My wife does things sometimes uh, just being herself. She says to the gentleman on his way out, please don't be upset. She said it just like that. <laughs> now, there's something about, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because she's a teacher or what, but she has this power. It almost is like she can talk in her teacher voice, and it makes grown men crumble. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, but what I noticed was she didn't get upset. She didn't raise her voice. She did not respond to him in kind. Instead, she just asked nicely, please don't get upset. Almost to say, you know, we didn't do anything to you. You messed up our order. Don't get mad now that you have to take it back. <laughs> and guess what happened? The guy's attitude changed. He immediately, the countenance that was so crestfallen, uh, all of a sudden he began to smile. He, he, he uh, you know, straightened up his back and his posture. And the rest of the time, our experience with him was much better. You know why that happened? April didn't even know it, but she was being light at that time. A normal human reaction would have been to respond to him in the way he was giving it to us. To belittle him. To make him feel low. But instead, because she's light all the time, she responded in a way that made him respond positively instead of negatively. This is the effect that we can have in the earth all the time. Whether you come to church or not. It doesn't matter because you are the light of the world. Who says amen to that today? It's an important thing for us to understand. Light is supposed to shine because it's meant to be seen. It's not performing its function if nobody can see it. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong here. Jesus is not encouraging us toward deliberate ostentation for one's own prestige. We're not talking about getting your shine on. That's not what we're talking about. This is very different. We're not talking about self-glorification at all. Some of us love the spotlight and we turn on as soon as it comes on, but then when it goes off, our light goes off too. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is speaking about something different. Verse 16 makes it very clear that God is the one who's supposed to get the glory. Let your light so shine before men so that they will see your works and glorify, not you, glorify God in heaven. So this really isn't about you. What Christ is saying is that it's no longer okay for us to come to church and go home and constantly feed ourselves from week to week while we never do anything for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are we doing to engage the culture for Jesus? And this is the folly of our former way of only shining our light at church. That's right, I said former. Because what I'm hoping is happening is that because we can no longer come to church, that something will transform in us during this time. I'm hoping we'll find the light that Jesus has in us all the time and we'll find ways to shine it now that we can't just do it at church. This is the positive thing about this situation that should come out of this for us. Hopefully you can find the light that Jesus wants to shine through you. That's just for the two hours on Sabbath. And then you turn it off and go home. Now that we can't come here, maybe you'll find what that light really is. The light never made it beyond the four walls of the Tacoma Park Church. Then we're not shining like we're supposed to. 
Yeah, sure, it's really bright in here. But what about all the darkness on Carroll Avenue? Now that we're not even coming here, what about the light that should be shining on your street where you live? Have we even considered taking our light with us back home to the places that we live? First thing we learn about light is that it's meant to be seen. Second thing, Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 11. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. The Bible says here, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So he's, he's, he's calling you out. You used to be darkness. <laughs> now you're light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Then verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. All right, now, before we get to the next point, I want to say this right now. Just buckle your seatbelt because this one's harder. The idea of being light and light being seen, that's easy for us to understand. It's easy for us to accept. This next point, in my opinion, is an opportunity for you to harden your heart. So don't, don't fall prey to that today. Here is the second thing that we learn. Light is the opposite of darkness. Repeat after me. Darkness and light cannot exist together. Say it again. Darkness and light cannot exist together. If you believe that, say amen. Now, I know this seems obvious, but I wouldn't be so sure because of the last part of verse 11. It says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. We understand that. But then here's the part we don't like. Listen to it. But rather, expose them. Our job as light is to expose darkness wherever it is. To call it out. Let that marinate for just a second. I want you to think about the implications of this statement. If we are the light, then we are the opposite of darkness. But you wouldn't necessarily know that by looking at our lives, would you? It's not apparent most of the time. Many of us allow darkness to reign in areas of our lives a lot of the time. But Paul says we should have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what he says. Those are strong words. It means that many of us must take a hard look at the way that we relate to this world and to this world's values. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. If that other part wasn't clear enough, here it is again. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Okay, now I'm, I'm going to bowl down your alley a little bit more. Okay? The Christianity that is practiced in American churches including 
Seventh-day Adventist churches is a cultural Christianity. Not a biblical Christianity. Most of the time. In fact, I think this is what we have to fight against in our churches. Not becoming cultural Christians only. We are baptized into the church, but many of us keep our secular values and we baptize them too. We are in the water, looking pious, with our robes on and we've smuggled under our robes our pride and worldly ambition, our individualism, our materialism. Many of us have traded our lives of sin for lives of self-righteousness and we're just as lost. This actually makes me think of a situation that we're in right now. Um, I'm going to pause again before I even say it. Because if Paul says that part of our job as light is to expose darkness, then we have a really long way to go, especially when it comes to issues of social justice. It's hard for us sometimes to speak about things like that from the pulpit because so many people try to brand it as being political. And we say we shouldn't talk politics at church. But I disagree that talking about people being murdered in the streets because of their color of their skin is political. I don't think that's political. Not if you look back at the way Jesus practiced his Christianity. Not if you look back at the Old Testament and the ways it talks about dealing with the orphan and the poor. I I don't think that's political. There's a situation right now that's in the news that you may already be aware of. A young man named Ahmad Aubrey was killed recently. And he's another young black man, 25 years old, whose life was needlessly taken at the hands of his white counterparts. Two white gentlemen killed him. This is just one of the many cases like this in recent history. You may not have known this, but Aubrey's death happened only three days before the anniversary of the killing of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin, which happened in 2012. Almost eight years to the day between the killing of Trayvon and Aubrey. And there have been countless others in between. Eric Gardner in New York, 43 years old. You know the guy that said, I can't breathe? You know who that is. Freddie Gray, right here in Baltimore, Maryland, age 25. Michael Brown, Ferguson, Missouri, age 18. Tamir Rice, Cleveland, Ohio, age 12. Got shot because he was playing with a toy gun. This is not about being political. Because it's nothing to do with politics. <laughs> We're talking about the way that we view life. And how the world decides that certain people are not worth as much as other people. But this should not be the case within the church of the living God. We are the light of the world. If there's anywhere that should be different, it should be in here. By the way, I say in here and this place is empty. I mean in here. 
life is precious, no matter what color or how much money it has or how much education it has attained. Until we can see all people the way that Christ sees all people, we are not living up to our name as light. We are light and light is supposed to expose darkness. What are we doing to expose darkness? If we are the opposite of darkness, we must be more than just mere nominal Christians. You know what nominal means? So-called acting or being something in name only, but not in reality. Are we nominal Christians? Are we Christians in name only? When we call ourselves Christians, yet go about our lives in the same fashion as the rest of the world does... You know what we're showing? That we're not living up to the name that we carry. Is this why the gospel has been gutted of its power in our lives? Probably so. Here is where we all see the real contradiction. When we join the church, we do not give up our rights to ourselves. We claim to be Christians, but we hold on to values that Christ never endorsed. We say we respect the Bible but we do not submit our lives to its authority. In fact, we, very, we know very little about the Bible, you know, the actual words of the Bible. So while we claim to believe it, we don't obey it, and we don't even know many of its teachings. And it never even crosses our minds that we're not currently treating people the way Jesus treats people. Christianity is popular in our country. It's used as a tool uh, to get votes or more fans, but it's not something that transforms our lives. Don't you see? If we truly are going to get our light to shine before men, we must change that radically. We can't be good Christians while holding on to our values in this world. They are diametrically opposed to the values of Jesus Christ. You don't believe me? Listen to John 12, 25. Listen to what it says. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard in popular culture of today. <laughs> and there are so many texts just like that that don't sound like anything that anyone rational would actually believe. The things of God are spiritually discerned and are diametrically opposed to the ways of this world. So, here's my final question. How do we balance these two realities? On one hand, light is meant to be seen. It should not be hidden under a bushel and must be in the world. That was clear from our first point. If I'm in the world, the temptation is to become part of the world, though, and to join its value system. So, how do we shine our light in the world, but not get sucked into the value system of the world? That's the question. Light is supposed to be the opposite of darkness. we got to hate the deeds of the world, and yet i got to be in the world to shine my light. How do we balance these two things? This is why i got to preach another sermon. Because <laughs> i got to tell you in a whole other sermon about that particular thing. And we'll do that after the outreach series is over. The next two sermons, we'll come back to this. And we'll talk about how you can balance this idea of being, you've heard it before, in the world, but not of the world. 
It's an important skill for us to develop as Christians. We need that balance. In fact, I think this is one of the most challenging concepts of the Christian life for us to grapple with. How is it possible to do both things? Be in it, but not of it. Is it even possible? That's a long tease, but in a couple of weeks we'll get to it and I'll preach about that. But for today, I want to just end by going back to those two points to remind you of what they are. Number one, light is meant to be seen. We must not hide our light in the world. And number two, light is the opposite of darkness. So we must not conform to the world. If you believe the word of God, why don't you raise your hand where you are right now? If you want to be the light of the world, raise your other hand right now. Now look up and say, I surrender. Praise the Lord. Let me close with this. You know, a lot gets discovered when you strip away what it really means to be the church. That's what we're learning during this time. One of the positives that I said we're getting from this COVID-19 pandemic. And I've noticed, first of all, just a couple of things that I want to share with you that I've noticed that I think are interesting. The first thing I noticed is, I kind of noticed this before because I've got some people in my family who pointed this out to me. But I think it's even more obvious now just how bent towards extroverts what we do at church actually is. Have you noticed that now? Now that we're home, (laughs) what I'm noticing is that all the introverts are thriving. (laughs) My wife is one of them. My wife actually said recently uh, that she's enjoying this to the point where she's almost feeling guilty for enjoying it so much. (laughs) Something about this that introverts are starting to like. But you realize almost everything we do now at church is extroverted. We got, we got to get better at that. We got to figure out a way to make it so that uh, everything is not just bent toward one person group when we get back here. We'll figure out how to do that. That's one thing that I've noticed. But we've also, as we pointed out earlier, had to become creative about connection and showing how we are connected with each other. I, I told you before, I believe that uh, we are created in the image of God and Remember, God is a community. The Bible teaches us that the three who are one. So God in himself is a community. And if we're made in the image of God, that means he has implanted and etched into our DNA this idea of community. So we need it. Even introverts need community. (laughs) We long for it. And so now that we can't be together, we found creative ways to continue to deepen our community with each other. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm glad that we found ways to do that. You know, it's, it's not possible to do your normal happy Sabbath and then small talk like you would when you're here. So what I'm finding is when I join these Zoom Sabbath school classes or when I go to these afternoon programs like today, today at 1 o'clock, we have this thing that we do every single week now. I meant to mention it earlier. Every week at 1 o'clock, we have a Zoom for our children. It's like a children's ministry Zoom that we do. And if you want to get information on that, uh, if your kids are between the ages of 5 and I think 13, it's somewhere between there, they meet every Sabbath by Zoom when church is over at 1 o'clock. Uh, uh, and you can get the information uh, all you have to do is email Pastor Job about that. And I actually don't remember her email address right now. It may be, um, let's see, do we use G? 
I, anyway, I'm not positive. I think, I think it's the first letter of her name and then Job. Anyway, I'll get that to you. The point is, if you want that information, we can make sure you have it. We're doing all these creative things to enhance and to build community, even though we can't do it the regular way. And what I'm finding is, we seem to have a deeper connection than we even had before. Because we're moving past the superficial to really get to know each other. It's a beautiful thing. But the biggest thing that I think has been exposed by this situation is that I think we have long placed too much emphasis on the building. And actually, we may be more guilty of that here at Tacoma Park than other people are at their churches. You know why? Because of all of the history that is wrapped up in this building. A lot has happened here. General conference sessions have happened here. Ellen White has been in here. Conference presidents, uh, presidents of the general conference have spoken from here, right up here. And sometimes, you know what that does? Sometimes that makes us idolize the building. We put too much emphasis on that And take away the emphasis on what really matters. Do you understand what the church really is? It's Jesus in you. You are the building Jesus wants to abide in. And when we put a bunch of us together, even if we can't meet at the same time, all in the same place, you put all of us together in community, and guess what that does? It's a powerful force in the world that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. That's what the church is. We, as Human beings, Jesus abiding in us. That's what we've learned. You are the light of the world. And the reason you can shine is because Jesus lives in you. I want that today. I want Jesus to take his rightful place inside of me. And I want him to shine all the time, not sometimes, all the time. If you want that too, why don't you pray this prayer with me? Father, I thank you. For Jesus Christ, who gives us this opportunity to be able to shine. Lord, we don't want to shine so that we get the glory and the credit. We want the shine to come from you and for it to be so obvious that people see you in us and you get the glory and not us. So cure us today of our desire to have the spotlight on us. Instead, Let us allow you to shine through us so that when people see us, they see you. I pray for that man, that woman, that boy or girl who wants to give his or her life to you, maybe for the first time right now. Maybe they want to come back to you. Whoever they are, God, I pray for them now. They maybe wrote it in the comments. Maybe they responded to our appeal card online. We're praying for them at this moment. Save them. Bless them. Give them what they need. And when Jesus returns the second time, help us to be ready to go home with him. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next week right here at 1130. Don't forget, you can always uh, interact with us online on our YouTube channel. You can see anything old. The the email address that you want, thank you for that, Mikhail, is griselda.job at thetpchurch.org. G-R-I-S-E-L-D-A dot J-O-B-E 
at thetpchurch.org. If you would like your children to join in today at 1 o'clock and every Sabbath, you can get the information for Zoom from her, and your kids can join in if they're ages 5 to 13. We'll see you here right next week. If you want to return Tide, you can do that online using our online portal. Um, And if you would like to join us again, we'll be right here at 11.30 with our series on outreach next Sabbath and the Sabbath afterwards. May God bless you. We will see you then.